Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. We praise and thank you, living Lord Jesus Christ, for these extraordinary words, words of eternal life, words that have been spoken to us and have been received by so many of us here this morning. And we pray that you would strengthen and encourage us and give us confidence in the eternal life you have given us. And for those who are not yet yours, who have not yet received your words and heard them, we pray even this morning that they would and pass from death to life. Amen. I wonder if you know who I mean by Elizabeth Holmes. I've been reading the news fairly recently. She's the founder and CEO of a company now defunct called Theranos. She built a business from absolutely nothing at a very young age. Her product, it was claimed, would revolutionize blood testing. No need anymore for those pesky injections. Just a tiny finger prick and you could have a tiny bit of blood and all that you need for vital health information that might prolong your life, save your life, is yours through this company, Theranos. Of course, Elizabeth Holmes' wealth and fame skyrocketed as a, skyrocketed as a result of this at just age 31. Can you imagine that? Age 31, 2015, she became the richest self-made female billionaire in the States. Her company was worth $9 billion. She appeared on the cover of Fortune, of Forbes, of the New York Times Style magazine. The company employed 800 people, and investors included our very own Rupert Murdoch. Actually, you might want to disown him. The American Rupert Murdoch, the Walton family, Carlos Slim. Twelve of their board members were made up of the most illustrious people, including Henry Kissinger, and former and future members of the American presidential cabinet. It all came crashing down, of course, when it was proven that Holmes' claim about this technology was false. It could not provide the accurate and possibly life-saving medical information needed from just a tiny sample of blood. The value of the company went from $9 billion to zero, and in just November last year, she was sentenced to 11 years in prison. Well, there is a claim made by someone to be able to provide vital aid to health and avoid pain, but proven completely false. Here in this passage, we come across a claim on the lips of Jesus concerning human health, as it were, that is far more outlandish, I'm sure you will agree, even than that made by Elizabeth Holmes. Verse 24, which is our key verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Not a technology that might prolong your life here on earth by a few years, but words that if believed will certainly, guaranteed now in the present, result in eternal life that goes on beyond the grave and into the new creation. Not a product that means avoiding the discomfort of a needle. I try to look tough, but I am a complete wimp when it comes to that, as I'm sure a number of us are. 
No, not that, but a voice that if heard means a person escapes certain future judgment. The destruction that comes from the divine. God's message for us today, Jesus' message is this. How you respond to the words of Jesus Christ is the single most important health decision you will ever make in your life. To hear him, that is to believe him about himself, his father, yourself, the seen and unseen realities of this universe means somebody has eternal life, crosses over from death to life with immediate and irreversible effect. The message is that how you treat the words of Jesus matters more than anything at all. And the response for each of us this morning is urgent. It's not just a theory. It is a matter of decision now as we hear the very words of Jesus from the scriptures as he addresses us this morning. A huge claim, but Jesus tells us a profoundly true and trustworthy claim for three reasons. The words of Jesus enable a person to pass from death to life because first of who he is. The divine son who is equal to the father. We can trust what he says about receiving eternal life in the present because he's not an ordinary person. He is the eternal son of God, equal with the eternal divine creator, the father. What we have here in this passage is an extended explanation, a piece of teaching from the Lord Jesus. And it's marked, as you noticed, by three truly, trulys. It's there in verse 19, truly, truly, says Jesus. Verse 24, truly, truly. And verse 25, truly, truly. It's Jesus' way of double underlining what he is saying. It's the neon light to his words. And central to the message is that middle truly, truly. So often with Hebrew thinking and Hebrew speech, the crux of the matter is found in the center. Verse 24, and either side are reasons given to us as to why we can believe and why we must believe what Jesus claims. There are sentences that mirror each other either side. And the first and foundational reason as to why Jesus can make this outlandish claim about our eternal health is because he is the Son. Verse, 20, verse 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. We've just come off the back of Jesus doing something quite extraordinary as a worked example for us to see with our lives of the power of life that he has, raising a man who was lame for 38 years, saying, get up and walk. That is precisely what he does. And remember, he does it on the Sabbath we read last week. That is to say, he is bringing the ultimate Sabbath and showing us that that is what he has come to do through his worked example. And instead of cheering, the Jewish authorities are angry because, verse 16, he did it on the Sabbath. They consider Jesus to be an ordinary man who has broken the law of God by working on the Sabbath. But they've misunderstood who Jesus is. 
Yes, man must not work on the Sabbath, but God the Father and God the Son have been working from before the beginning of time to sustain the world as they are right now. God doesn't need to stop his work and rest. No, Jesus, in doing what he did, demonstrated and communicated to those Jewish people who knew their Old Testaments that he was not an ordinary man. He was claiming to be the creator himself. But also they were angry because he called God his father. Verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even daring to call God his own father, therefore making himself equal to God. In response to this sustained, in response to this, this challenge, Jesus gives this sustained teaching. And it begins in verse 19. So, therefore, because of this, because they understood what he was saying and they were angry and they wanted to kill him, Jesus doesn't do as I would do and shrink back and say, I'm terribly sorry, I've made a bit of a mistake. We're all friends, it's okay. No, of course, he steps off into the front foot and he says, You're precisely right. And let me explain why. Yes, I do call the Father, Father, because I am equal to my Father. I think there are three things he claims about his equality with the Father in these verses. First, he is equal to the Father, and he does what the Father does. Did you see that in verse 19? It mirrors, he mirrors, he follows, he matches the actions of his divine Father. Father and Son in closest possible relationship. He only does what the Father does. He obeys him. They're in lockstep union in all of their actions. I was going to say it's a bit like a three-legged race, a two-people, but that's inappropriate because God's not like that. We can't illustrate it from our world because it doesn't belong to our world. It is beyond our complete comprehension, but it is magnificent. Perfect union in all of their actions. The perfect relationship between a father and a son. Equal to the father and he doing what the father does. But second, equal to the father and loved by the father. Do you see that in verse 20? For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. That is the characteristic attitude of the father to the son. His heart of love to his beloved And the Father's love is expressed in the overflow of that love to the revealing of everything that he is doing. This is the father of the family business who opens up the books and shows the plans and explains everything that he is doing. There is nothing hidden about the family business. And that is the demonstration of his love. Here we have, in a way which is beyond our understanding, a magnificent non-human equality of two powers without rivalry. You think about in our world, when there are two powers, ultimate powers, inevitably they conflict and it ends up in division and rivalry. We couldn't have Albanese and Dutton. In Rome, when they had two emperors, they would stab each other. It never lasted very long, but not with God. Perfect equality perfect relationship, without rivalry, a father who loves the son and a son who obeys the father, equal to the father, 
doing what he does, equal to the Father and beloved of the Father and equal to the Father and entrusted by the Father. The son and heir to the family business is given executive powers, as it were, to act according to his own will on behalf of his Father. Verse 20, beginning in the middle. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Greater works, what is greater than the work that he's just done of physical healing? Well, it's the work of giving eternal life. That's the greater work in the first place. For verse 21, as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father entrusting the power of giving life to the son. Or the matching verse in the other half of the passage on the other side of the truly, truly. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. The Lord Jesus, given the power to give life, and also given the power to execute judgment. That's the other side of the coin. Verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And again in verse 27, and he has given him, that is Jesus, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So here's the point. The reason we respond to Jesus' word and by doing so determines our eternal destiny is because of who Jesus is. Not an ordinary man, but the creator who has come into our world, the divine Son of the Father, equal in divinity, equal in authority, equal in action, and equal power, but not a rival. One is perfectly loved and perfectly obeys. The perfect Father-Son relationship. And therefore, Jesus must be able to work on the Sabbath because he is God and do what God alone can do. And only God can give life from the dead, as we've seen Jesus do in the case of this lame man. What then is the application for us with this theory about this relationship between father and son? Well, it has a profound application to us, and it's there before us in the verse. Verse 22. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, so that, for the purpose that, with the intention that, all may honor the son, just as they honor the father. For whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I was once door-knocked by a pair of Jehovah's Witnesses, a middle-aged man who was clearly the person in charge and the trainer, and a younger girl, teenage girl, who was being trained. And they were seeking to persuade me about the Jehovah's Witness gospel. And as you'll know, along with the vast majority of heresies in church history, Uh, What is common about the Jehovah's Witnesses, as with the Mormons and others, is that they do not believe in the full divinity of Jesus. And I knew this. And so we began to discuss, and I began to challenge, and began to prod, and began to show. I knew a little bit about the Bible. And it was clear that we were going nowhere. And so I said at the end, knowing what would happen, why don't we pray together? Because, of course, we're both seeking the truth of God. Why don't we pray together? And ask God to reveal the truth to us. And a look came across that man's face, which I can only describe as thunder. And the girl began to close. And no, don't. Fold you. Do not pray. And 
forbade her from doing so because, of course, he knew I would pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For we were not praying to the same God because they do not believe in the divinity of the Son. But if you wish to honor the Father, you must honor the Son. And what is the greatest sin in this world? It is not, though it's close, supporting the All Blacks. It is not drinking your Penfolds Grange, 1982, I'm told, with Coke. It is not eating your filet mignon with tomato sauce. It is not even murder or the horror of sexual abuse. It is to fail to honour the son. Because that is what the father wants. That is how you honour the father. And how do you honour the son? Well, you listen to his words. The great sin, the sin that brings judgment, is to fail to listen to the words of Jesus Christ. Of course, the application to us is obvious. It is how we respond to the scriptures. To honour Jesus isn't to sing chorus after chorus, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. I got a bit excited there. I love you, Jesus. It's not even to bow down, prostrate yourself on the floor before the sacrament and genuflect. No, it is as you sit and listen to the word of the Lord Jesus Christ and in your heart receive it as the authoritative word of the eternal Son. That is how you honour the Son and that is how you honour the Father. What we're doing here today, all of us looking the same outwardly, but each of us receiving the word in different ways. The one that the Lord esteems is the one who is humble and contrite in heart and trembles at his word. Here on a Sunday, as we listen to God's word, as we read God's word, as we sing God's word, as we pray God's word, in our small groups, What attitude of heart as we engage with God's living word, the word of the Son, privately when no one is looking, our attitude of heart towards the living, life-giving words of the Son of the Father. How you treat Jesus' words determines your eternal destiny because of who Jesus is, the Son of the Father. And secondly... You'll be glad to know more briefly. Because the Son gives eternal life now. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has, present tense, eternal life. Life now. John's Gospel tells us that eternal life is knowing you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is to say, eternal life, what we creatures were made for, was relationship with our Creator. And it is Jesus' words alone in this world that are able to break through and give us that connection with our Creator. For it is His words that remove the barrier of sin that cut us from God, cut us off from God. It is His word that connects us to the Lord of the heavens and the earth. It is his word that gives us life and an eternal life that starts now in the present. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming 
and is now here with the coming of the Lord Jesus, present. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The moment that the word of the Lord Jesus Christ came into our world, as it does today, as it is now, it is possible to cross over the great chasm from eternal life to permanent, irreversible, eternal life. Because he is the one who gives life now. And why can he do it? Verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. It's not like us when we are on the respiration machine. Somebody will correct me later. And we need the oxygen. And someone takes it away and we die. The moment God takes away the oxygen from us because we are dependent beings, because we don't have life in ourselves, we die. But not with the Son. He has life in himself. He has the life bubbling up out of him as a fountain. He is the source of life. And therefore he can grant life. In him was life, chapter 1, verse 4. And that is happening now. Eternal life, which lives in each one of us who has received Jesus' words. One of the commentators I read said, it is like an exotic flower taken from a different land, out of its normal environment, and is cold and not, not, not fully blooming, and then brought to its natural habitat, where it blooms and is seen in its fullness. Well, that's what it's like with our experience of eternal life. Now, it is true and real, and we praise God for it. Though one day, when our bodies are raised, we will experience it utterly and in full. But it's real. Now, ours to receive. And therefore, the application is so obvious, is it not? To hear that word now as it is available before that day of judgment. There might just be one or two here this morning who know in your heart of hearts that you have not heard, that is, received for yourself and believed the words of the Son of God and the Father who sent him. Well, even this morning, if you do that, instantaneously, you will have received eternal life that you can never lose. What an extraordinary thing. Why, finally, is the response to Jesus' words the single factor that determines a person's eternal health? One, because the Son is equal to the Father. It's because who he is. Two, because the Son gives life, eternal life, now. But three, because also the Son will judge then. Look with me, please, to verse 27 again. And he, that is the Father, has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus says, don't marvel, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised 
that I can give you eternal life now in the present, even if you can't see it because it's invisible. Because I can do it because the Father has appointed me as the Son of Man, verse 27. I am the one from Daniel chapter 7 who has been given the authority one day to bring judgment to this whole world. And when will that judgment be? Notice it is different from what we saw before. It isn't now. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. It's coming. It's not yet here. It is coming. When all those in tombs will hear the voice and be raised to life. Jesus here is speaking about the final resurrection day, when the voice of the king of the universe will call every single person who has ever lived out of the tombs and into a resurrected physical body. And there will be two types of people that day. There will be those, tragically, verse 29, who have done evil, and they will be raised to the resurrection of judgment, of a catastrophic punishment for the great sin, the great evil of ignoring the words of the Son. What a horrific tragedy for the person who has not received the words of eternal life, the gift that the Son came to die on the cross so that we could have out of his love for us. Do not be one of those people on that day who has shunned the love of the Father through the Son. But that's not all. There are also those, verse 29, who will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life. That is to bypass that final and terrible judgment and experience in full the bloom of the eternal life that we have now. A resurrected body in the presence of our resurrected Savior in a perfect and beautiful new creation. And what is the criteria? Those who have done good. Has Jesus suddenly changed his mind? Is it about doing good works? No. What is the good? The good is to hear the words of Jesus. That is what it means to do good. That is the supreme good, which is the opposite of the supreme evil, to receive the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, to cherish them in our hearts and in our lives. And so for us, this morning is a day of rejoicing, if we have heard that word, a day of gratitude and a day of cherishing the words of Jesus. Today day is a day of prayer. We'll be praying on Wednesday night and able to pray ourselves for those who have not yet received the words of Jesus. Because now is the day of salvation. Now is the day in which the Lord Jesus' words are crossing this land and the whole world such that anyone who hears him and believes the one who sent him will pass from death to life. Why don't we pray? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, 
but has passed from death to life. We praise you, divine Son, living Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has been raised from the dead and rules now and will return to judge, that you came into the world to offer us eternal life through your sacrificial death given to us by your living word. We pray that those of us who have received it will cherish that word like nothing else. And we pray that those who have not yet would do so and join us in joy on that day. Amen.